Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Have our life together in the morning, which is a wonderful group of people. I, we love them dearly. A lot of our morning life together people tend to be retirees, and so we just get a whole different dynamic of a room with a lot of, of knowledge and life experience in the room, much like this room. But my kids are on summer break. Yay, summer! And they came with me. And so what else should they do besides like smile and wave and greet people and hold the door open for people. I I told the kids, I said, hey, I'll give you a donut if you greet people this morning. I mean, tonight we get cookies. In the morning we get donuts. So if you like donuts better than cookies, come in the morning if you're free. Um, And so my kids were like, okay, we can do that. And I was like, really? Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that you're on board with this. And so they were the most friendly little greeters. They pass out the prayer sheets and they even took it on themselves to like hold the outside door open for people as they came in, like all by themselves. I didn't even give them the idea. And then all of a sudden my kids started coming up to me and being like, she gave me a dollar. (laughs) I thought this is perfect timing. We're talking about money and you're getting money for for serving Jesus. So I kindly asked the Life Together people, I said, they're going to be coming with me like every Wednesday. I'm trying to teach them to serve God's people and not earn money for serving God's people. (laughs) And it's just very a human thing to have money in our lives. Jesus knows that money is important. Thousands of years ago, we're like 2,022 years after Jesus was born, right? And money is still a pivotal functioning of our society. Wars are still waged over land and money and resources and power. People are still um, focused on money and the importance of money and the weight that money has on us. And so like in this room, how many of you are watching the stock markets right now as they fall drastically or watching the gas prices rise? And I I have to tell you, I think the timing of this series is just a God-led timing um, because our financial situation in society is just really dramatically shifting. And we've been on cruise control for a long time pun intended, because it's time to come off cruise control and be aware of what is going on in our world and being more intentional about the things we invest into monetarily is very important in God's kingdom. And the timing of what God has for our lives makes us go, okay, Lord, we have money. We either have more than what we need or less than what we need, but we have these resources that we function by. How can we use this for the glory of God? And so last week, Dan talked about how uh, we can trust God, that God is our provider. We don't need to worry about money or provision because God is our provider and he loves us and he takes care of us. Before we start to manage our money, we have to focus on the root of our behaviors with money and the root of our actions come from our heart. And so if we don't fix our heart when it comes to money, 
then we're going to keep making the same poor judgments over and over again in an ungodly way. God wants to deal with our heart and help us to deal with money from the inside out. So money is both a concrete topic and an abstract topic. Like I could dig through my wallet for a dollar that my kids gave me this morning <laughs> um, to give to the offering, you know. And um, so money is concrete. We can pull it out. We can pay our bills with it. We can, um, you know, if we don't pay our bills, something concretely will happen to the property that we have. Uh, money is also abstract, right? We have these little square rectangles plastic rectangles in our wallet and we pay for things with it or we will pay for things with that plastic later on because it represents the resources that we have or we don't have. And then it becomes even more abstract. We use things like Venmo and PayPal and Apple Pay to pay for this idea of cost. But without these things, we don't get what we need. So all of this is a representation of what resources we have to take care of our needs and our pleasures, our life satisfaction. When our hearts know that God is our provider, we have confidence that he will take care of all the needs that we have. And that goes back to worry. But tonight, we're not going to focus on worry that can strangle the satisfaction of our hearts. Tonight, Jesus wants to address something uh, a bit different. It's tied in with worry, but it's very pivotal in the way that we manage our money. And so I just want to pause here and pray before we jump into what Jesus talks about uh, for our money management in Luke 12. So let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you, God, that we can talk about the practical things of life, that um, we're not always talking about abstract things or spiritual things or hypothetical things, but Lord, you want to meet us on the concrete level of what's going on in our day-to-day. -day. You meet us in our need, in our abundance. You are our provider, and we love you and we worship you. God, we submit our money to you tonight. And God, I ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would help our hearts to be focused on money the way that you have called us to see money, and that we could bring glory to your name through the resources you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 12 um, is, is this whole chapter where Jesus is talking about a whole lot of different stuff, right? He talks about hypocrisy, who you listen to, don't listen to hypocritical leaders. He talks about persecution, reliance on the Holy Spirit for answers that we need in hard moments. Jesus talks about a whole lot of different stuff. And then out of the crowd, this man randomly calls out, and it seems so random in the middle of Jesus's teaching. And this is what this man says. Then someone called out from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. This man interrupts the king of the universe to say, Jesus, my brother's being a jerk with finances. Can you set it right? And so there's a couple things that we can see about this man. So first of all, this is a man. It says someone, but we know it's a man because in Hebrew culture, um, the firstborn son was known as the Behor. And the Behor received all of the father's estate uh, once the father passed on. As the firstborn son, it was his responsibility to take care of the entire family, to either divvy out the estate or to take care of all the family left on earth after the father had passed. And so apparently this man also 
wasn't the firstborn because he didn't have the estate that was not shared with him. And he is having familial problems because of finances. And I just want to pause there because in prepping for tonight, I know that there's many of, this, uh, of us in this room that might be dealing with financial problems, and it may have caused rift in family relationships. And as I was studying, the Lord just laid it on my heart, God wants you to be free of unforgiveness when it comes to the financial rifts in your family, whether it's just or unjust whether something should have been shared with you that wasn't shared with you, whether you got your due or you didn't get your due, or maybe you're the one withholding the money from family members, Jesus wants your heart to be healed tonight. So offer forgiveness and then talk to God about your grievance, okay, because God cares for you. And that's an aside, but that's a word from the Lord for someone in this room tonight. Um, And so Jesus has an interesting response to this person in the crowd. Verse 14 says, Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus's response is not even focused on the man's sense of justice. Jesus almost like jumps over the issue like he didn't even quite hear what his grievance was, but he jumps right to the heart of the matter, right? So the thing in the man's heart is what was causing grievance in this first place. And Jesus said, guard against every kind of greed. Greed comes in many different topics and shapes and sizes and amounts. So I actually um, was studying for the sermon yesterday. Um, Dan and I had been gifted this um, really fancy trip um, to a nice hotel in Sheboygan. And Dan was um, out golfing with the, the gift giver. And I was at the hotel studying this in a beautiful, high-end society place. And I'm like, I'm studying a sermon on greed in a really wealthy establishment. (laughs) And it just is heavy on my heart. Greed has nothing to do with what you have or what you don't have. People can be the most wealthy people in the world, but be the most generous and not greedy. And people can be the most impoverished people in the whole world and be the most greedy person. Greed has nothing to do with the amount that you have or that you don't have. Greed is a condition of a sinful attitude in your heart. When I was about 12, we moved to a different city and we started attending this new church. So we had been there a couple times. I knew the name of some people there. And there was one lady who was there who was just really unique. And um, yeah, I won't say her name. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I knew she was different. Even as a 12-year-old, she was an adult. And um, so I walked into church one Sunday and it wasn't like, hi, Mandy, welcome to church. It's so good to see you back today. She looked at me and she said, it's too bad. I got this seat first. <laughs> so 12-year-old me was greeted at church that day. And so it doesn't even have to do with um, money so much. That greed is the attitude of the heart of, 
I have what you don't have, and that makes me happy. Or, I don't have what you have, and I want it. Greed is a covetous desire in your heart. So, the Greek word for greed that Jesus uses here is pleonoxia, which means to desire to have more possessions. It's this yearning for possessions, for power, for pleasure. It's not just... I would like this. It's, I need that. That will satisfy my soul. If I only had this kind of relationship, then I would feel satisfied. If I only had this new thing, then I would feel happy, and then I could feel confident in my relationships. Greed is a desire to have more because there's lack of satisfaction. What I have is never enough, and it never will be enough. It's the accumulation of more and more and more because other people have it, and I don't, and I need it. I hate shopping, and this is why. Because I feel like my heart's in a good place with Jesus when it comes to material possessions. And I'm actually, like, I have my own issues with Jesus that he's still working on. Materialism isn't really one of those things. But when I go shopping and I'm walking through Target and I look at their cute little pillows and I start to think, my pillows look kind of shabby at home. I think I need pillows to make me happy. (laughs) Or my other personal favorite would be like Hobby Lobby. Like what project am I working on right now? Uh, That's not satisfying me, but this will. This one will satisfy me. So I end up with all these unfinished products at home. How many of you walk through Lowe's like with house, with house remodeling stuff? And you're like, you know, if only my bathroom had like a Kohler faucet, that would really just satisfy my soul. Or how about if I just had a Harley motorcycle, then I would be happy. If I just had that kind of job, then I would be satisfied. If I just had these kind of clothes or these kind of friends, then life would be sweet. If I could just lose 10 more pounds, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. God doesn't want us to be unsatisfied with him as the king of our heart. If we don't guide our, guard our heart, we can get caught up with keeping up with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, or social media influencers. And there's nothing wrong with wanting stuff. That's not a bad thing to want something and work for it, save up for it. But when we recognize that our want for stuff becomes priority and and we start to desire it over the things of God, or we start to hoard it only for our own pleasure, or we start to take pride of, I have that and they don't, and I feel really good about myself for that reason. It sounds icky to say out loud, but I'm sure most of us in this room can think of a circumstance in the near distant future or past that we have responded like that. We are human, and Jesus knows our heart, which is why he tells us, guard your heart against all kinds of greed. Jesus knows us really well. If we don't guard our hearts, we can get caught up with that. And um, greed is what happens. It Greed will seek into our hearts and take a chokehold of the contentment in our heart that whispers, I am content with what I have. And greed screams, I don't have enough to make me happy. 
Greed is the desire to have more. And when our desires are fixed on things instead of our desire to have relationship with God, we're worshiping an idol. Jesus actually names this idol mammon, money. We cannot serve both God and money. We need to prioritize our relationship with God over our relationship with money. And yes, we can have a relationship with money. Money can affect our happiness. Our happiness can rise and fall with the stock market. Our happiness can rise and fall with the savings account that we have or we don't have. Our happiness can rise and fall with the income that we make. If we're not careful, we have a stronger relationship with happiness or with our money than what we have with being satisfied in God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed with greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. I love, I love the words for that. Because when I think about greed and the way that I, I respond to greed in my own heart, it almost becomes this squinty-eyed like, what do they have over there? What is, I want that. And it's always like in the future, right? Like I'm looking off to find something that will satisfy me that I don't have yet. It's this squinty eye look of, I don't trust you. Or I, I want that. I can't hardly see it, but I know it's over there and I want it. A satisfied life that says my treasure is in God himself and in my relationship with him forever. A person who lives like this has a wide-eyed wonder and cheerfulness, whereas the greedy parts of our hearts have distrusting demeanor, constantly analyzing the things and the people and the relationships around us, how we can gain power to get what we want so we can be satisfied. It's always toward the future because our present doesn't satisfy because we're not satisfied in our Lord. A squint-eyed look is always looking toward the future, searching and unsatisfied. A squint-eyed and greedy perspective begins to prioritize material possessions, power, or personal pleasure over people. Money, wealth, and items become your master instead of you mastering your own stuff. God wants us to use money as a tool and not be used by money. Many of us do what Jesus says. We tend to measure our self-importance or our self-satisfaction by what we own. Greed feels like this. Greed says, oh, I would be a bit more happy if I had or maybe I can replace such and such to look more like them, their house, their. Jesus also said all kinds of greed. And so like a lot of times we think about greed as material items that we buy or we don't buy. But remember our definition of greed here is the desire to have possessions, power, or pleasure. In the same way we can be greedy with money and material items, we can also be greedy for power to have influence over other people, relationships, popularity, prestige. A healthy perspective of self-care can give way to a self-centered search for satisfaction. And the Garden of Eden itself, at the very beginning of the Bible, we see greed take root in Eve's heart. 
right? So God had given the entire garden, the entire world to Adam and Eve. And he said, you can eat from all, all of these things, every single tree you can eat of except for one. And you know what Eve's eyes did? I see that fruit. It looks good. But better than that, I'm not satisfied with who God made me. I want to be like God. Eve's greed placed herself as an idol above her relationship with God. And when she tried to self-satisfy herself, what did she get? She got brokenness and distance from her creator. She wasn't rich in her relationship with God. It was broken because of greed that led to her sin. This lack can become a mental habit that leads to what medical experts call a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality mindset is when you're so obsessed with the lack of something, usually time or money, that you can't seem to focus on anything else, no matter how hard you try. This paints a picture of a person with tunnel vision, squinting around to find what they're lacking and see how they can fill it. Scarcity mentality causes us to look around and see how Others have their needs met and their desires and their wants met more than what we have. Scarcity mentality shows up in the most usual way in my house when there's one chocolate chip cookie left and we have to split it six equal ways to be happy. I want you to notice I said six because Dan and I are also in that mix. I'm not blaming all that on my kids. When we're living with comparison like that, she has more than I have, or he got this and I wanted that. When we live in that mentality, then we begin to lose focus on the truth that Jesus shares with us, that a man's life does not consist by what he owns or what he has. The problem with greed, the belief that stuff or things or power or pleasure alone can satisfy us is that we begin to overly value what we have as a definer of our personal value. We begin to believe I'm valuable because, and you can fill in that blank, I'm valuable because I have the nicest house on the block. I'm valuable because my garden is amazing and that yard looks like trash. I'm valuable because I look good in these clothes. I'm valuable because my car is hot. That's not my problem. (laughs) I'm valuable because I have influence over these people, or these people look to me for wisdom. They look up to me, and that makes me valuable. I'm valuable because I have retirement or education and this much income and that much resource. I'm valuable because I do these self-care habits that make me feel valuable. Jesus says our lives do not consist by what we have. So when Jesus says something, it usually gives us a pause to ask a question. And if our lives don't find value in those things, then what does our value lie in, right? And Jesus is the expert of bringing up questions, and then he'll answer our question with a story that we can look at And so in this story that Jesus goes into, he gives us three remedies that can unroot greed from our heart and bring to us more satisfaction in who we are in Christ. So reading on, 
Uh, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, he's talking to himself. He says, my friend. You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. In this story, we see a greed of every kind produced in the foolish rich man. This man was unsatisfied with what he had, and he was convinced that his present plan of investment would secure his future happiness. I want you to notice in the words of this story, this man does not actually ever follow through with the plan before he dies. He sets up a plan thinking his, his happiness, his satisfaction is in the future but he never actually carries it out. He dies before he can even implement his plan. How many of us in this room are waiting for the day when we can sit, drink, and be merry so we can be satisfied? God wants us to be satisfied in him today, no matter our circumstances, right? And I praise him for that. So the three biblical truths that are remedy for greed is number one, Live generously with others. When we're busy asking the question, what can I give? Greed begins to slip its grip hold on us. Greed sounds entitled like, I deserve this or that, or why don't I have? And generosity gives us the powerful ability to use money as a tool to benefit others, to benefit God, to benefit our own lives. But it's a tool that we use rather than money using us. So greed makes us work for money instead of of allowing money to work for us. Generosity has no price tag. A person can give very little with a generous heart, or a person can give very much with a generous heart, but generosity always comes with a price tag. There's always a cost to generosity, and there's always an eternal reward to our generosity. The foolish man had laid up treasures for himself, and all of his future thinking was a conversation he was having with himself, nobody else. Sit back, my friend, eat, drink, and be married. He was not even concerned about people on earth, let alone what God thought about his wealth. We can plan to be generous so others can know Jesus and experience God's goodness. So some of you in this room might be aware of this, but I I feel like I've learned this recently, and I just love the story of our church, that generosity is in the DNA of Oak Creek Assembly of God. So our church has not always been this big. About 40 years ago, it was a very small church. When Pastor Jerry and Sherry came, it was running about 35 people in a small, um, a small building back in the youth corner. And then when they outgrew that, it went into the youth chapel. They expanded the building into youth chapel. And then they outgrew that, and it expanded into in the Impacto Chapel, which seats about 500. And then when God outgrew that, we have the main sanctuary out here. And God is so good. God has used this church for so many godly, eternal things 
But, you know, it started because there was a lady in Oak Creek Assembly of God um, about three generations ago who was driving down 13th Street and saw a for sale sign of the property on the acreage of where our church is built. And she had a vision right there, and she drove and put a down payment on the land that our church is built on right now because she knew (laughs) that God could use that land for his glory. She didn't ask anyone. She didn't, like, you know, take out a loan from the bank. She used what she had. She put a down payment on the land of our church property, and then she gave it to Oak Creek Assembly of God. This woman, her generosity... Praise God, right? And I know not all of us can do that, but what can you do? Because of what she did a long time ago, we have thousands of people who have come through this church who met Jesus and have a rich relationship with God now. And they're raising their family. They're raising their kids to know Jesus. Because of that woman and her obedience and generosity to God, We have missionaries who have gone to Nepal and China and Spain and all across America and people working here in Milwaukee to to grow God's kingdom. And a lot of that started with this woman's faith and her willingness to live generously because of her rich relationship with God. When we live generously, there are eternal rewards that will never, ever fade. Generosity also builds relationships. When we're generous with our time, our talent, our treasures, we're looking for opportunities to use what we have to love people and love God. I want you to notice how this rich guy was super lonely. He didn't have a relationship with God, and he was talking to himself. He didn't even envision himself sharing life at the end of his life with other people. He wanted to self-satisfy generosity is in God's nature. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave. God is generous with us. And that same generous heartbeat is in our hearts as Jesus followers, that God's heart is in us, that we can be generous, that we can dream big, that we can live generously without being concerned about, well, what's in it for me? Or what if, what if I don't have enough to share? Psalm 103 verse 5 says, he fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. When we live generously, we're putting our trust in God, that God satisfies us and not the things that we have. Greed tells the lie to us that things make us happy, and God, God's word declares that God alone satisfies our hearts, and we can live generously with others. If you want to uproot greed from your heart or covetousness from your heart, then start to live generously. Secondly, you can be grateful toward God. So greed tunnels our thinking into what we don't have. We start to focus on what we lack instead of what we have, and we start to focus on how we can get stuff to satisfy ourselves, whereas gratitude reminds us what we do have, that it comes from the Lord, and we can be content with what God has given us. Even in secular psychology, they say that if you want a 
fulfilled life, if you want to have lower anxiety, lower depression, if you want to have better relationships, that you practice gratitude. This isn't a new concept. Psychologists are just now discovering what God wrote in his word thousands and thousands of years ago, that God has given us a command to give thanks. He says, when you come into my presence, enter my presence with thanksgiving in your hearts. Enter my courts with praise. He says in the New Testament, he says, pray in all things, giving thanks for what God has already done for you. And so I don't know about you, but a lot of times I can start my prayers with, God, I'm so frustrated right now. I just really need help. Or Lord, I really need, and I don't know about you, but I have that habit. And God is reminding me, Mandy, give thanks. I've already provided for you so many times. Start with thanksgiving because then you notice more what God has already done for you. And then off of that, you can ask him for things that you need. We need to give thanks to God. And when we give thanks to God, gratitude reminds us that God satisfies us and wants to satisfy us with good things. Gratitude cultivates rich relationship with God and unfetters our hearts from greed. And finally, if you want to be free from greed or covetousness in your heart, generate perspective. The rich man in Jesus' story was so focused on his future self-satisfaction that he lost perspective of how unpredictable and brief life can be. He was so focused on accumulating wealth that he forgot that his days are numbered, that he's not guaranteed tomorrow. And in the same way, we're not guaranteed tonight. We're not guaranteed tomorrow that we can live for the Lord now because he's the one who gives us life every day that we have it. Everything we accumulate and have in this life will fade except our relationship with God and our relationship with other people who love Jesus. We can't take anything away with us when we go. My, my grandpa passed away recently, and he actually passed away after my grandma did. And so it's, it's odd losing a second grandparent um, or a second person in a, in a combo relationship because it's almost like saying goodbye to everybody, like all connection to that, um, to that couple. And so when we went to uh, his funeral in Ohio, my brother was there too. And so we took time and we drove over to my grandparents' house, which is a house that we spent so many summers in and has so many wonderful memories in. So the house had been sold to somebody that we don't know And so we drove up to this house, this very familiar place with so many memories. And and we drove up, and the person who lived there met us, and we said, I'm sorry, this is really weird, but our grandpa's funeral is today, and this was my grandparents' house. Can we just take a minute and take a picture on your front porch? And the guy was like, "Uh, yeah, sure. But it was funny because, like, on the porch, like, all the memories that are there, my grandpa's rocking chair was still on the porch. There was a a garden planner in the garden that my mom had given her mom for Mother's Day. And I had all these memories that they have no idea about. But because of my memories, because of the spiritual growth that I had on that property, I had this rich attachment. I had this rich relationship with Jesus. I had this rich relationship with my family because of those moments but I, they didn't take it with them when they left. 
What was left was the connection that we had had. What they took with them were their memories. When we leave, even our memories will go with us. They will fade in time. And what's left is our rich relationship that we have with Jesus and with God's people. And how can we use the things that we have, the influence we have, the power that we have to build rich connection with the Lord? How can we build other people's connection with God through the things that we have? And in that sense, we can live generously. In that sense, we can be grateful to God. We can be free from greed, and we can use resources as a connection tool instead of something that will overpower our lives. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful, God, uh, for your connection. I thank you, Lord, that you call us not to have stuff or manage stuff, uh, but you call us to have a rich relationship with you and to help other people have a rich relationship with you because really, in the end, all of this will fade. All of it will fade but you, God. And we love you, Lord. We love you. I pray that if there's someone in this room tonight um, who's having a hard time with uh, letting material possessions or money or worry um, govern their hearts, Lord, if they're comparing what they have or they don't have with people around them, God, I pray that you would free people from greed. Lord, that's not your desire for our life. You want us to be free to live in satisfaction with you. God, we love you and we trust you. Thank you for my church family. I ask that you would bless them, help them to grow in their knowledge of you, help them to grow in their love for you and their love for others. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.